0: Pray with me one more time. Dear Lord, thank you so much. I thank you for your word that never changes. Our world changes all the time, but I thank you that your truth never changes, your word never changes. So I pray that you be glorified as we give you this time and honor you. Open your word up to us even as we open us up to you. Fill us with your spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. Heart, listen, the angel's saying, Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all you nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, and with the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. That's just the first verse, but there's a lot going on in that in that song, isn't there? And and we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, using, using the song to kind of be a, a, a bracket for understanding some theology. It's not a sermon series about the song, it's just cheating and using the song because charles wesley is a sneaky little monkey and he slipped he slipped theology i may have been the first person to refer to charles wesley as a monkey but he's a sneaky little monkey and he slipped a lot of good theology in there hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king peace on earth mercy mild god and sinners reconciled and we picture that night outside of bethlehem right bethlehem the house of bread little town, little suburb outside of Jerusalem, when the angel came and told them to the shepherds and said, don't be afraid. Why? Because they always have to say that. Yeah, angels are scary by definition. They're scary not because they do bad things, but because when you're in the presence of angels, you feel the power of God. They're the seraphim, the burning ones, because they stand in the presence of God. Yeah, even if they even if they just look like people, people tend to crumple when they're around the angels. Because God is that well, the official term is oomphy, right? He's got so much umph, so much gravitas. Well the angels told the shepherds, No, you guys don't have to be afraid, because I have to start with that. But I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the house of in the town of David, house of bread, bethlehem a savior has been born to you he is christ the lord what would they have thought of when they thought of that if had said city of david that's jerusalem that's nearby maybe they would have automatically thought king but he says savior i mean today we we hear the word savior and we all know everything that that means we all know all about that but what would have meant to them save from what Saved from the Romans? Saved from poverty? Saved from starvation? Saved from sickness? Saved from death? Saved from pain or anguish or fear? Don't we see all of those in the Gospels that people say, oh, I just assumed you meant saved from that? At one point or another, aren't there people who say, oh, I assume that means you're going to take out the Romans? Oh, I assume that means we're always, always, always going to be fed anytime we're near you. I assume Isn't that the same basic list that so many people today are all hoping to be saved from? I mean, we we want to be saved from X in this world so that we can have peace in this world because our peace is based on our situation. So if God could just change the situation, then we could have peace. We talked about that last week at length. But isn't that the way we think? John Lennon wrote a Christmas song, and he said, Let's stop all the fight. Always bothered me. But let's stop all the fight. A very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. Then we can have peace if there's just no fear in the world. If we can just stop all the fight. Fighting, fighting, stop all the fighting. It's poetry. remember Michael Jackson writing, We Are the World, and he reminded us, God has shown us by turning stones to bread, so we must all lend a helping hand. Wait a minute, he didn't turn the stones to bread. Wait a minute, Satan wanted him to turn the stones to bread, but he didn't turn the stones. Okay, do not maybe set up your theology based on pop culture, okay? An amazing number of people try to explain angels and and Satan and spiritual warfare to me because they're like, okay, have you ever seen Supernatural? I'm like, stop. Don't do that. Maybe go to scripture. Maybe maybe we can't assume that everybody already understands everything when we say savior maybe we don't all start on exactly the same page anytime we hear that because even even sitting here in a church do we mean saved from sins and if so do we mean saved from sinning altogether we no longer sin does that mean saved from god's wrath when we sin does that mean that we're saved from being a slave to sin we don't have to sin anymore. Does that mean that we're saved from all the yucky gunk that sin brings into our lives and leaves in its wake? What does it mean? Or is it that salvation isn't so much about being saved away from all that yucky stuff, but being saved to a bunch of good stuff? It's not just saved from hell. We're saved to heaven, right? We get all these good rewards. Or maybe maybe it's not primarily about the The punishments or the rewards. Maybe saved is more about being in relationship with God. And we get that back. Do we all know what everybody means when we say the word Savior? When we talk about that you have been saved, when we talk about salvation, do you automatically know what everybody means? It's a multifaceted idea. In fact, you may not even mean the same thing every time you talk about I am saved or God is my savior. You may mean it differently at different times because you're applying it in different ways. So today I want to talk about one particular facet, and one that we talk about, but I don't know that we necessarily think about that often. God and sinners reconciled. It's a nice line from that song. and I like the word reconciled. It's a nice 700-year-old word. You should be familiar with it. comes from the Latin, re conciliare, to be making friends again, to be making friendliness again. I love that. We can think of all these huge, grandiose, weighty theological things, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. We can think all about costs and punishments and washing the guilt away and the pain and the punishments, Do you regularly think of reestablishing a healthy friendship with God? That God says, I want to be your friend. And if we do, do we sometimes go, yeah, he's the man upstairs, buddy. No, no, not a flippant friendship. And when I say reestablish, I should clarify, you didn't have one before. It's not like you had a great relationship with God until you're, and then, you know, you became a Christian, you lost it somehow. No, no humanity as a species did back in eden we had a good relationship but we kind of botched it but the redemption that christ bought on the cross it not only paid for our sins and knew, right that, that would have been enough if all that jesus did on the cross is to say I, I wash you clean from all of your sins the guilt is all gone if that's all it did that that would have been enough wouldn't it i think that would be cool but we're told in scripture that's not it he not only washed our sins clean, he, he took our place. And not only took our place, but he, he gave us new life. And not only gave us new life, he gave us adoption as children of God. He acted as our sin offering to take our sins away, all these things. This redemption that Christ bought on the cross not only did that, but it also bought us the opportunity to finally be the friends that God always intended us to be, that he sculpted us in Eden to be. He wanted companionship with humans. And we botched it. We said we'd rather have that pomegranate. Thank you very much. We would rather do what makes me feel happy at this moment than be in friendship with God. Please, has that changed? Because I think as humanity, as a species, we still tend to do that. At this moment, I would rather do this thing that makes me happy than work on my friendship with God. Do we cultivate that, that friendship? When Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples in John 15, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he give his life up for his friends. Because that's the way Jesus saw them. That's the way he sees us. God says, I look at you and I see my friend. Is that what you look at when you look at God? Do you see a friend? Do you cultivate that friendship? That preaches, man. I could do a whole sermon on that. It has one minor drawback, though. In scripture, it talks about reconciliation. That's not what the Greek word means. The Bible verses about reconciliation, it's not just about friendliness. I mean, it, technically it is. The word itself is used in such a way that yeah, it's getting at that, but that's not what the word itself etymologically means. The word itself in scripture, katolhaso, and don't, you're not going to remember it, don't worry about it. But that word, it isn't about friendship. It's It's more of a, of a balancing of the books, like in accounting, like ba- literally balancing the books. It's saying, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that the costs and the payments and all this kind of stuff pulls everything back into balance with each other. But even that isn't what the word itself mechanically is getting at. The word itself is talking all about change and exchange. That's what "colosso means. It's all about changing things by exchanging things. It's changing back and forth in a relationship until things are finally right again. Uh, maybe the best mental picture is uh, in a laboratory. You've got two different beakers, and you need to you need, you have fluids in them, and you keep putting the fluid back and forth between the beakers until they are exactly level. That's reconciliation in Scripture. Changing and exchanging until everything is balanced and right again. That's reconciliation. Kind of puts things into perspective when Jesus talks with us about reconciling ourselves with one another. Before I ever talk about reconciling with God, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking all about worship, all about mindsets, all about prayer. And he says, guys, if you're all, guys is implied in the Greek, deal with it. If you're you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift, which I think is really interesting. Let Let me pull out at least four things about this before we get into talking about our reconciliation with God because maybe we can apply some of these in talking about our reconciliation with God. But the first thing says, you know, you should totally be praying to God all the time. I, I totally want you praying. I totally want you in an attitude of prayer all the time. But before you pretend to come before the Lord with an offering, let me give you a sacrifice. Jesus says the very first sacrifice you should give is contrition. Before you say, here, take this goat. Here, take this money. Here, take this ability. Here, take this beautiful song I'm about to give. Stop. Get your attitude right. Your first thing before you give any thing God prefers obedience. He prefers a right heart with this. The second, I love that it's not, even if we were to make this point, a similar point, it's not the way we would do it. Because it's not like he says, if you recall that you're harboring something against your brother, go deal with that, make that right. Is it? And he says that in other places, but that's not what he says here. Here he says, no, no, no. Stop and think if anyone else might have something against you. Not, I've got a bad attitude in my heart. Am I tripping somebody else up? Is there anybody else that's hurting? Is there anybody else that has something against me? You actually have to stop and think about what is going on in their heart. Not just what's going on in your heart. Have I hurt anybody else? And I love that it's not even like he's saying, I know you did do it. It's not talking about whether you're guilty or not. Does he say you did something wrong? Maybe you did. Um, odds are, statistically, probably you did at some point. But that's not what he's talking about. He's like, do they have a problem with you? Who cares if you did anything wrong at this stage? Go make it right. Because you're causing a problem for your brother or sister and their worship. So if they are hurt because of you, even if you sit there and go, I, don't, I, I think they're wrong, and I don't care. Go cut lasso that. That's the fourth thing. Is it's, You deal with this with reconciliation with this exchange back and forth, this give and take. It's not a one-time apology. It's not a sherry. just get over it. It's not that. It's not that. It's a relational exchange that requires change on both parties. I'm not even reading into it. That's what the word means. That's what it's getting at. The act of reconciliation in your relationship is itself a relational act. In order to fix your relationship, you got to do relationally relational things. Go deal with it. What do you know? I don't know. In your experience, is that true with your friends? That's where it's the, at its healthiest when you go. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't just go. Well, get over it. <sighs> sorry. Maybe the best times when you deal with your relationship with your friends is when you say, "Okay, what happened? I'm sorry that. This, please, I wish you would. But I also have to. You know, let's. Okay, let's. From now on, let's make sure that we." Isn't that where we tend to get the best responses when we actually reconcile back and forth, 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 back, 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 back. healthy. Is that true with your friendships? What about with your spouse? Is that best at its best with your spouse, or is it best when you go, Well, we just decide not to talk about it until we've forgotten? We find that very healthy. Do you? No. Isn't that the best way to deal with it with your spouse relationally? If it's the best way to deal with it with your friends. If it's the best way to deal with it, your spouse. Help me out here. Wouldn't it be the best way to deal with it with your savior? Just reconcile. I love Romans. God, Paul says, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us a couple of verses later, while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of his Son. God and sinners, reconciled. It's also an exchange, a uh, back and forth and back It's just God giving up the most stuff. But it's not that God has to change himself. It's not that, because God never changes. It's not that. And it's interesting, because in the Greek, it's never that God reconciles himself to us. It's always God reconciles us to him. He changes us. He gives back and forth. But he changes us to be in relationship with him like i will give you my blood i will give you my salvation you give me your faith you walk with me not because i demand obedience with a whip but because that's what i sculpted you for is to do it this way so do it that way we give back and forth to one another god changes us in order to reconcile us back to himself by changing levels of righteousness not that he reduces his but that he raises ours up he says you don't have much of a level of righteousness. But mine is infinite, so let me give you mine. Let me infuse you. Let me pour mine into you. Let me declare you righteous. Let me decide it. Romans 3 says, no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. It's not it's not going to work. It's not, you're not going to be righteous in his sight. He's not going to look at you and see righteousness because of all the stuff you did. You will never did stuff good enough that he will look at you and go, Ooh, I see righteousness. It doesn't work like that. I seem to remember all of our righteousness being like filthy rags. Rather, Paul says, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We see the blueprints, we got. oh, there was supposed to be a load-bearing, oh, that's why I felt, got it. I see what I did wrong here. Yeah, that's why I'm showing you the blueprint, blueprints. Yeah, we were supposed to, can I do that now? Well, I'd go back and do that now. You might have to tear some things down, but go fix it. But the righteousness that comes from God, we're told, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And I was just talking about this earlier this week. It's not just a nodding assent where we go, yeah, yeah. I was talking to somebody, It's not just believing in. It's believing on. And in English, we may not quite get the difference. Um, There's a wonderful old joke, and I've said it before, but it's long enough ago that some of you might have forgotten. But there's a guy who's a tightrope walker, and he's going back and forth over Niagara Falls and spinning and flipping on the tightrope, and everybody's watching like, oh, he's amazing. It's like, oh, yeah. And so he 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 takes a wheelbarrow at one point, he goes across the falls of the wheelbarrow and halfway through he pretends to wobble and then he's like, no, I'm fine. And he gets all the way across and then all the way back and people are like, yeah, you can do anything. He's like, you think I can do this? "Oh, I just want you. You think like, this is great? Yeah. You believe? Yeah. He says, get in the wheelbarrow. There's a difference between, oh, yeah, yeah. And I believe on you. I trust in your ability. I trust you. I will get into the wheelbarrow I believe you even in the parts that touch my life. That's what Paul is getting at. Faith in God. Faith in Jesus Christ. In his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul says, he's like, I don't even actually have any righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It doesn't, I don't have any. I'm Paul. Or half the New Testament. I don't see that I have any righteousness of my own worth crowing about. I don't do this good, at least not good enough. Not good enough that I can say I'm sinless and I'm following the law. Nope. But my righteousness, the righteousness I have is that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. God says, I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to reconnect. I'm going to bring you back. To me, I'm going to rebuild those roads of friendships. I'm going to give you my righteousness, not yours. I'm going to ask you to live it out, and you'll stink at it. But I'm giving you my righteousness. And through Christ's reconciliation on the cross between everything he did, he met all the righteous requirements of the law, that contract that we had. And Paul says in Romans 4, the man who trusts in the God, who justifies the wicked, who reconciles sinners to himself, his faith is credited as righteousness. A couple chapters later, he says, Christ is the culmination, the fulfillment, the perfect end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. I mean, over and over, it's it's saying, I want you to live righteous lives, but that righteousness itself is being poured into you from my beaker, not yours. It's fr- because you because you believed. Christ's blood on the cross didn't pay off Satan. Christ's blood on the cross wasn't God paying God. Christ's blood on the cross was God paying what we owed the law. This was the, this was the rule. This was the contract. Sin ends in blood, so don't do it. And we went, ah, pomegranate. Jesus says, I will pay my blood to pay for what you owed. I will pour out my beaker into yours. I will balance the books on your behalf. Take your sins onto myself and put my righteousness on you so that you can be children of God again. I love the way Charles Spurgeon, one of the best preachers anywhere, I love the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He says, you stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were you. That's reconciliation. Not just payment, not just punishment, it's a relational theological answer to a relational theological problem. And I'm going to deal with it that way, God said. A reconciliation, an exchange that changes our relationship with God, because it changes us. I love how Paul told the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're not just paid for, you're not just positionally improved, you're changed. You aren't the same anymore you have a changed life so live a changed life all of this paul says is from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation actually i emphasized that wrongly i emphasized the wrong words there we read that and we emphasized the wrong words let me do that again god reconciled us to himself through christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation right God looked at sinners, at enemies, and saw people whom he wanted to be his children, his friends. He reached out to them, even if they weren't reaching back at him. He reached out to them, and he loved them where they were. He cut a of them where they were, that genuine relational exchange that goes back and forth until the relationship is right again, and he interactively worked with them until they were the healthy version of them that they had always been sculpted to be. And that's what the angel was proclaiming back in Luke. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. That reconciliation starts today. That salvation of the world starts today. It started with a manger and in those hills filled with sheep. And it started with Mary and Joseph. And it started and built up and continued through healings and storms and teachings and miracles and resurrections and us because we now have been given this ministry of reconciliation. God says, okay, I reconciled you to myself. Now you work on reconciliation. I want you to reach out to the people around you, even if they're not reaching back to you. I want you to be reaching out to them, loving with them loving them where they are, katalaso them where they are. That genuinely re- re- relational exchange that goes back and forth until the relationship is right again. I want you to do that. I want you to be interactively working with them until they grow into the healthy version of them that I have always intended them to be. You and I, we're called to reconcile, aren't we? To reconcile that guy sitting over there that looks a lot like you. To reconcile the one over there that doesn't. To reconcile the one over there that doesn't reach back. To reconcile the one over there that hates you. To reconcile with the one over there. We're given this ministry, aren't we? Jesus told us to reconcile with one another as an act of worship to God. Paul says reconcile one another as an act of ministry to God. How many times does the Bible have to say something before it's true? Once. And we're not changing people theologically. We're not changing them. We never save anyone. But we're the ones relationally, interactively, lovingly sharing the truth of God with those around us. And the truth that God is the one who's ultimately doing all the reconciling. That's what we're sharing. And he's already provided it. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, Paul says, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Oh, that's twice, Paul says it, in rapid succession. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, he says, as though God were making his appeal through us. That's three times he said it. How many times does he have to say something before it's true? Paul says it three times in rapid succession. Jesus said, Love each other as I've loved you, with that reconciling love. And Paul concludes, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Which is weird. Isn't that a weird thing to say? He's writing to Christians saying, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Well, there's a couple of different ways to. It. Some people have said, Well, clearly what he's saying is, is you're Christ's ambassadors, so let me give you a script. Your Christ ambassadors, when you run into people who aren't Christians, say, quote, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, unquote. You may want to write that down. Keep it in your hip pocket. It's possible. It's possible. But you have to kind of read into it. The more reasonable thing requires us to think a little bit, that he's looking at Christians in Corinth, which, let's argue, kind of messed up Christians in Corinth. Look at messed up Christians, though, and says, guys, guys, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You've been reconciled. He's reconciled you. Could you reconcile yourselves, please? He's paid for you. He's washed you clean. Could you stop wallowing in the dirt, please, for a minute? He's saved the world. Could this world just stay saved for a minute? Could you please live like you're actually the ambassadors you're called to live like? Be reconciled. I am. Could you do that then? How about we do that then? As we read earlier from Colossians, I love that Paul says God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ, dwell in him, and through him to reconcile. Actually, in this one, it's slightly different. Katalasso is actually modified here just a little bit. It's not just reconciled. It's completely reconciled. Fully, utterly reconciled. To reconcile completely to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, Christ's peace, that we talked about last week. Kind of deep peace that goes beyond just the stuff you see around you. Making peace on earth here with all of us through his blood shed on the cross, you weren't just balanced out and made okay in God's sight. That's not what the blood of Christ did. You were utterly and completely declared righteous, perfectly, totally reconciled sinners. That's what happened. There are no sort of Christians. You either am or you emped. There's no dimmer switch. You go, well, sometimes it doesn't work. You go, that's because your light bulb's broken fix that but there's no dimmer switch it's on or it's off there's a current going or there's not a current going so maybe make sure your light your light bulb is doing good because once you were alienated from god you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior you were nothing but a broken light bulb with no light current going to it you were at odds with god that's who you were that's who all of us was that's that's what we were at some point or another but and i love that word that tiny little, huge little word. You were enemies of God. You were sinners. You were broken. You were standing at odds with everything that God created you to be. But, I seem to remember that God reconciled sinners. That while we were enemies, Christ died for us. You were enemies. But now he has completely reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death that blood that the law demanded to present you holy in his sight, totally holy, completely holy, honest and for true, the way that God looks at you when he sees you, holy, without blemish and free from accusation. That's how God looks at you. If you continue in your faith, because that's the connecting point, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, not because you are so righteous, because you've done everything so right, but because you have stayed connected to the vine. So long as your righteousness comes from your faith in Christ, your righteousness is utterly secure. Is that the way you look at it? Is that the way you look at it? Maybe. But when you think about God looking at you, do you think of God being judgmental, and always waiting for you to make that false step so that he can come down hard on you? Because you know God is always judgmental. Or do you look at him and say, no, he's not judgmental, he's love. He's a loving guy, it's warm, it's smiles. And you go, both of those are unbiblical. He is extremely judgmental because his judgment is eternal, and it's perfect, and it doesn't change. He's judgmental in a good way. I'm going to say murder is always bad. Sometimes. No, always. You want God to be judgmental, just completely and utterly consistent and fair in it. He is judgmental. But never looking over his shoulder, looking down your shoulder and going, I'm just waiting for you to screw up, because I know you're gonna screw up. I know you. I, just, I know your heart. You know your heart, your dark little twisted little heart. And he's not like, well, your family, who cares? Do whatever. It's just that, in His unwavering judgment, where He said, "No, there's a rule." We need to remember that you stand before God as if you were Christ, because Christ stood before God as if He were you. Christ's perfect, perfect sacrifice balances Christ, God's perfect, perfect, unwavering judgment. That judgment that's colored by His grace, His unmerited favor, and He says, "Christ's blood covers." Every item on your ledger, everything is covered. Every sin is covered by my blood. So when God looks at humanity, he sees two kinds of people. Those whom he wishes to reconcile to himself and those whom he has completely reconciled to himself. Two. When God looks at you, he sees his beloved child. When God looks at you, He sees his beloved friend. When God looks at you, he sees you without blemish and free from accusation. Is that how you feel it? Is that how you see it? That the God who says, I will never wink at sin, every sin, eating a pomegranate, is so toxic it destroys the world. And when I look at you and I see your heart, you're unblemished and perfect in my sight. There's no accusation in my heart toward you. Because you're paid for. Is that how you see it? Because if you do, if you do, then that whole, well, God is so judgmental. He's always waiting for me to screw up. You go, well, that's not what he says. And if you go, oh, he's a big soft ego, that's not what he says. And when Paul says, you've been paid for, why would you do that again? If God says, I look at you and I see beloved child. You go, yeah, so I'm going to go, just going to go spit on you a lot and do whatever I feel. I go, no, I can't do that. Not because I think that God's going to go, I knew I should always hate you. But because he's loved me so much. He loved me so much. Why would I, why would I do that? I don't want to do that. If you and I are supposed to love each other as Christ loved you, how should we be looking at one another then? If we say, God looks at us and sees those whom he wishes to reconcile and those whom he has completely reconciled, how should we look at them? Should we look at people that way? Shouldn't we look at people as brothers and sisters in Christ or people that we want to be brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, but they're... They're a horrible person pointing a gun at me and shooting children. You go, I wish they were my brother then. Or do we say, yes, they're horrible people. I hope they burn in hell. Or do we just not care about them at all? And those are the three options, right? I hate them, I don't think about them, or I choose to love them. I love that in Colossians, Paul says, this is the gospel that you've heard. This is what's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. In 2 Corinthians, he says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's the gospel. I want to show that to the people around me. I want to show that level of grace. I want to reflect God's loving face. I want to reflect his peace, his glory. The glory we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the peace we talked about last week. I want to reflect that. Can you do that? By the way, you can. I know that you can. You know how I know that you can? And don't say, because I'm good at it. No. No, maybe you are. I don't know. I can't guarantee everybody is. Maybe you're really good at it. Kim's really good at it. The rest of us, I know you can do it. You know why? Because God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. And he's not going to give that to you if he's not going to empower you to do it. You don't have to be good at it because he is, and we're just reflecting him. We're just reflecting him. I don't have to be good at it. I just have to reflect him. He's committed to us this message of reconciliation, this gift he's given to us. We are Christ's ambassadors. Why? Because I'm good at it? No. It's just because I'm from heaven now. We're Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us because he is just as surely as he did through the angel Gabriel to Mary or to Joseph or to the shepherds who then went and were telling everybody about what they saw. Were they good at it? I don't know, but they were enthusiastic. That's the Christmas story. Just as much as any story details about mangers or Bethlehem, just as much as any of those details, this is the Christmas story. You've been given this message of reconciliation, this gift to be able to share this with all those around you that God looks at you and says, I want you to be my child. And if you are my child, I absolutely, unequivocally love you. And that will not change. Because God looked at sinners. He looked at sinners and enemies and said, I choose to see friends. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that you don't look at us the way we look at you. I thank you that you don't look at us the way we look at one another. I thank you that we screw this up horribly compared to you. But I pray that because you know we do, because we, you know we don't look at you the way you look at us, we don't look at one another the way we're supposed to, because we screw this up horribly, I pray, love us enough not to leave us where we're at. Love us enough to embrace us where we're at and then help us to become more and more every day, transformed from the inside out to be what we were sculpted to be all along. Thank you, Lord, that all that started at Christmas. Thank you that that started a dark night in the house of bread. Help us, Lord, to share that bread with those around us in Jesus' name and for your glory. Happy birthday, Lord. Amen.